I want you to turn to the Psalm, Psalm 78. Psalm 78. The title of what I'm saying is The Unveiling of the Unbelieving Spirit. There are so many people qualify as unbelievers, and yet they don't realize that. They're church members, and they try hard to do well. Many of them do, but they don't realize that their life is marked with unbelief. And if you tell them, if you tell a church member that you're an unbeliever, you have a fight on your hand or you lost a family. It's very hard to deal with. So in teaching on this, we hope that if anybody is located in or in any degree or in some dimension located about having unbelief in your life, that you'll get the signal from the Lord to deal with it. Now, we started last week at Numbers 14:28. Did God ask the question to his people? He said, how long will it be before these people believe me? And he goes on to say in, in my words, look at the things that I have done, the things that they have seen, and yet for all of this, they still don't believe me. Now, by believe, he means they will not obey me. They will not do what I want them to do. They've seen my power. They've seen my might. I have spoken to them. When are they going to believe me? Then in Psalm 106, we looked at that too, a couple of verses there, and, and he said in the two or three verses in Psalm 106, he said that the people soon forgot his works. They had a short memory about the things that God had done to get their attention to reveal to them and show them who he was and who they could count on but in light of all the busyness and the activities of their life, they soon forgot about God. Even though Psalm 106 says they heard his word and they sang his praise. And we think, praise the Lord. The very next verse, verse 13, says, but they soon forgot his works. So typical today of Christianity. Mighty moments in our life when God stirs us up, awakens us, gets our attention, and we realize things that we need to deal with, and we're so encouraged, and we're going to do it now. We're going to do it now. And then you start doing it, and after a while, you get used to the routine. The next thing you know, you're not listening again. You're not paying attention again. And God says things, and you forget it or you let it slide. And those are forms and indications of unbelief. It's not that you don't believe in a God or that God exists or the Bible's true. All church members say that. But very few of them seem to be willing to obey it. Remember in Isaiah 53, who has believed our report? When Paul in Romans 10, writing about that, he quotes that and he says that who is obeying the Lord? By believing his report, he means who is obeying what I've said. And again, a lot of church members want obedience or faith to be an option, something we should do, something that would be a good thing to do. And, you know, we ought to do that, but not everybody can. They like to throw that in because that dismisses them from being an unbeliever or from being disobedient. But there is a lot in the Bible about the disobedient person. Now, in Psalm 78, if you're there, in verse 22, it says, and they believed not. In verse 32, it says, they believed not. And in verse 41, it says, they turned back. So these verses of Scripture that God shows us indicate to us how Christians or how God's people, these were chosen people, how chosen people can act. Even though they were there, they saw the mighty signs and wonders, they can do all of these things, and they can act that way. Unbelievers are identified or defined as disobedient and either that or they can be defined as those who consider God to be unable or unwilling. Now, they read the Bible. They live so much in a natural world. Everything has to fit in with natural understanding of things that they cannot believe in the supernatural. They cannot expect that to happen because they have no control over it. They cannot in any way handle that. They just have to let that be, and they can't. Therefore, it doesn't happen. But he says, they wondered about God. They said, well, we know he's done this, we know he's done that, but will he do it again? And because of that attitude, God was angry and called these people 
three times at least in this chapter, they believed not. Now, they believed not because they didn't think he'd do it again. They weren't sure about God. Oh, he was nobody to mess with, but, you know, as far as going to him and things happening, I'm not too convinced about that. In fact, in Psalm 78, look at verse 19 through 21. Yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Can he feed them? Behold, he smote the rock, the waters gushed out, and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore, the Lord heard this and was what? Understanding? See, this verse would not be politically correct today in this post-Christian era that we're in. For he said, therefore, the Lord heard this and was wroth. Sound like British word. But it means he was angry. God's people should do better than this. Nobody else is allowed to have the relationship with God these people had. These were chosen people. He could pick anybody he wanted to. He chose these people to reveal himself to. He revealed himself to them, and they still wouldn't believe him. And he was angry. They questioned whether or not he would do what he said. So in verse 60 of this book, so he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he placed among them. Now, there's a message here, a sermon here for a preacher somewhere, that when you continually disbelieve God, you turn to your own ways, and if you do that as a body of believers, so-called, he won't be there anymore. He will forsake such an assembly because God is not glorified in some academic setting. God is glorified when people believe him, trust in him, count on him, and are drawing nigh to him. Any other method won't work. Any other method is what we call religion today. It's just a formality, a routine, a ritual that people go through the ceremony of Sunday. And it has no effect upon people's lives. And one of the reasons is, is because God is not there to begin with. And I know that's hard. I know how that sounds. But I'm just saying that in verse 60, he said he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh. That's where he built his tabernacle. He's not there anymore. They think he's there. They act like he's there, at least with formalities, but he's not there. And so this is a picture, Psalm 78, of the way it could have been and the way it became. And it could be better with us. All we have to do is believe. Now, I said last week there are two classes of unbelievers. We didn't finish with the first one. There are two classes of unbelievers that I would classify as. One are the obstinate, the stubborn, the unwilling believer, so-called person. And the other are the well, the, I would call them honest believers. They're willing to believe. They're just not sure. And so they doubt. It's not a good thing to doubt, even if you're not sure. You have no right to doubt anytime because God is a God of faith, and he requires faith from his people. But we said that whenever a person is obstinate, they are unwilling. An obstinate person is a stubborn person. You cannot persuade obstinance to do something right. These are people who have made up their mind they're not going to believe. Now, we call them today liberals. They are birthed in liberal settings where nothing is certain and nothing is sacred. And out of that setting, a man becomes his own god. And his opinion is as good as anybody else's opinion. And he lives like that. Because most everybody he knows in the liberal coffeehouse mentality, that's the way they are. Everybody does their own thing, has their own idea. Everybody's cool. And when it comes to God, everybody has a different opinion about God. Even though they have a Bible, they can read it. They have chosen not to believe that at some point in their life. They've chosen not to take the content of this word as to be divine. And they won't do that. And it's like Paul said in Ephesians 2, like us, we were all once children of disobedience. And the word disobedience is the word believe with an A in front of it, which means refusal or negative belief, refusal to believe. I'm religious. I go to religious settings. I like to keep up with the current themes of the preacher, 
the somewhat direction of the church. But I make up my own mind. I'm my own man. I do things my way. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be in an assembly. I don't even need to function in it. Don't even need to participate in it. I'm kind of my own man, my own woman. And I can have as friends who I want and go where I want when I want. And really, nobody has the right to tell me what I can do or what I can't do because, you know, I only answer to God. Stuff like that. Now, that's liberalism. Now, today, in finishing up about the obstinate unbeliever or the unbeliever who is obstinate, these are pastor's nightmares. You can't teach them. They always disagree with you. Three things about them. One is that they are indifferent. They're indifferent to what you say. They did not approach the word that morning or come to a meeting with the idea that God is going to say something to me this morning that will benefit me, and in some way, by that word, I will be more of the person that he wants. It's more of an indifference. I'm going to go to hear what he has to say, and it may not be good. It usually isn't, but, you know, who knows? Something might come out of it. It's not a real interest in it. I call it denominational liberalism again. Because in the structures of man, in the systems of man, which is what all denominational systems are, all of them, they are the systems of men, established by men, for men. They might have started well, but they didn't finish well. And the liberal dimension of that thing is that you can believe what you want to. And the more it grows and the bigger it gets and the more in debt the thing becomes, the more shallow you have to be in your preaching because you don't want to offend anybody. Because remember, today, the big deal today is comfort and happiness. Make them comfortable, make them happy, and you'll be all right. Just don't preach things that might stir them up and make them uncomfortable or unhappy. Don't deal with their lives. Don't deal with marriages and raising children. Don't deal with that. Because if you do, you're going to upset people or stir people up. And so people are trained, unconsciously trained, to be indifferent. You know, to take it with a grain of salt, that type of thing. The second thing about an obstinate person is that they're excuse makers. They're always excuse makers. Well, I didn't, I don't believe that, I don't. I, back in Psalm 78, look at verse 41. Yea, they turned back and tempted God. And what did they do? They limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, they limited him because they say, well, though he said he could, he probably won't because, you see, God doesn't really care that much about our little things in our life. And therefore, I'm not able to believe for some things in my life because, you know, we're supposed to figure things out and we don't have to call upon the Lord for everything. And here comes all these excuses for your unbelief. I'm too busy to be in all the meetings. I'm not interested in some of those things. I remember one time we had the Titus 2 meeting, which is a scriptural thing. It's the older women teaching the younger women how to do a lot of things that they have learned to do in their lives that would make these young women's lives a whole lot easier if they would just gather the wisdom these older women have. And I counseled a lady one time about a need in her life. I said, well, why don't you consider going to the Titus 2 thing? And they said, it's just a bunch of old women talking. They see, right away, you get an indication of the condition of a person's heart. That somewhere in all your church going, in all your testifying, and all of your title of being a Christian, something inside of you is void. Or am I the only one that thinks that way? I don't mind thinking like that. I have to give an account for all of you folks that are here. And therefore, if something is wrong, you need to deal with it. Now, if the person they want to be dealt with, if they're really that indifferent or they're so full of excuses why they can't, then they will leave. And they did. But can you imagine having a heart for God, having an attitude like that? No, I really don't believe that a new birth has ever happened inside of a person's heart like that. I think they've learned how to do a lot of Christian things. You don't have to be a Christian to do Christian things. Do you have to be a Christian to sing these songs? Do you have to be saved to do this? Do you have to be saved to do this? 
Do you have to be saved to say, I'd like to thank God today for healing? Do you have to be a Christian to do that? Do you have to be a Christian to preach a sermon? No. No, Christianity is not seen in all of that. Christianity is seen in the life you live and the fruit that you bear. Anybody can do all what we're doing for a while. Anybody can talk this way. Anybody can act this way and participate this much. But eventually, your mouth will expose the condition of your heart. For with the heart, you believe. And when your mouth talks something different, you're not a believer. Now, see, I hope that the quietness in here would let everybody think that me personally standing here today, I don't view everybody in here as saved. I don't. I think there's wonderful and good and all of that, of course, of course, of course, of course. But I think when you talk about salvation and the words fear and trembling and working out your salvation with fear and trembling and, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to what? Save your souls in James 1. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. If people don't want to receive it, what do you say? Well, it's okay anyway. You can start making excuses. Well, I'm not ready for that. I don't know about that. A lot of these excuse makers just don't see that God has already given them a solution to your problems. I don't care what your problem is. I have problems. We all have problems, some greater degree than others. But there is no problem that we have in this life that God has not given a solution for. It can be fixed. It can be. But we make excuses. Well, I cannot. He, she, they, it. Then we just draw back and dismiss ourselves from being a part of that because in our estimation of ourselves, we can't do it. Therefore, we don't have to. And we're dismissed. We do things our own way. We're victims. We're victims. Boy, a victim mentality is a way to go through this life. You never do anything wrong. Did you know that? Isn't that great? I told my wife not long ago, I said something. I said, whoa. I said, I'm a victim. <laughs> and she says, right. And then I did something else or something. I said, woman, I am a victim. <laughs> and then, you know, Tom. And then a little later on, maybe a day or so later, Bonnie, I'm a victim. And she said, I rebuke all of that. <laughs> and that's good, because while I was jesting with my wife, there is no such thing. There is no such thing. Every one of us was put in this world where God wanted us. Everybody that has received light from God can become and go and do and be better. Just a lot of people make too many excuses why they can't, why you can't. Why. The problem is you don't want to, and that's what unbelief is. I just don't want to pay the price to do it. I don't want to do it. I would rather be in unbelief. You know what I found out too? Like in Numbers 14, remember how long will it be ere or before they believe me? You know what I found out about unbelievers, excuse makers? They're never happy. They murmur, they complain, they whine about this, cry. They're never happy. See, we got a Bible here that says the joy of the Lord is your strength and you're weak. But I can see the evidence of your weakness in the negativeness of a person's life. Not long ago, somebody was describing somebody here to me as being so negative. Everybody is a problem and this negative is and just, it's just a, a sour thing about everything. See, I think, where'd you get that after 20 years, 10 years, uh, at least 10? Where'd you get that? Who taught you to look at life so negatively when you got a book full of promises? When did you quit seeing this and start seeing that? When did the spiritual give way to the natural? When is it everybody's a crook? They're all a bunch of thieves. You won't find God is. God isn't like that, is he? Why don't you say what God says? Because you don't feed that unbelieving spirit. 
Y'all better listen to me this morning. I'm telling you, in this age that we're in right now, just before people start leaving the faith, they start acting like this. They start talking like this. They start thinking like this. You preach to them and they go, well, yeah, but. No, there is no goat in this thing that buts. It's Christianity. God said it. Believe it. And to draw back and say, well, I don't think I'm ready for that. You're a liar. If you're not ready for it, God wouldn't have told you to come out and do things. You got a lying spirit in you because you say God can't, that you call God a liar. That's 1 John. Whoo, don't do that. Best thing for you to do is receive with meekness and humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and receive his word as an offering from God. It's grace that can turn things around, open a doorway for you to come to the throne of grace in time of need and get help. I will sing unto the Lord for he is... Then you start singing good songs and start talking right. Quit listening to all them talk shows you listen to and all the negative, the conservative right... Don't listen to it. Oh, but we're right. We're not wings at all. Our wings have been bit off. We are heavenly people. Backbiters got our wings. Just what Jesus says. Say, well, those Democrats, they're all heathen. What do you expect heathens to do? Unsaved people. Put it that way. They're unsaved people. Oh, I think this certain politician is a dedicated Christian. Why does he talk bad about his opponent then? Why is his attitude so sour against everything our government may want to do or not do? You can't do that as Christians. That's not what believers do. Folks, believing is not a big, wide, easy. Believing is a narrow way. Take another thing that identifies obstinate unbelief. It's just skeptical. But this goes with being liberal. They're skeptical. It's an attitude of doubt. What did Thomas say? Except I put my finger in the prince, in his hand and in his side, unless I see all of this or in his feet, I will not believe. They need natural proof or scientific evidence because whether they know it or not, they are naturally minded people. Things have to make sense before they can believe it. They have to see some kind of natural verification before they can believe it. Talk about supernatural things all you want to. They won't believe anything that they can't see because they say that. I'll believe it if I what? I'll believe it if I see it. Blessed are those who, having not seen, believe. God has called whoever will to come out of this world and the systems of this world and the conformity to this world is still controlling people's thinking and lives. He said, don't be conformed to that. Don't be like that. And we hear that, but we do it anyway because we're not aware of it. He said, you got to come away from it because the next thing you know, you become quiet in church. You become different. You become disagreeable and obstinate, stubborn unpersuasible, refusal to be persuaded. Now, here's a warning you have to the obstinate believer before we get to the second one. Revelation 21 and verse 8. I hope you all are familiar with this because this is the warning that God gives. Revelation 21, these are the ones who will not make it to heaven, in other words. You will not find these people in glory. Remember, you said a while ago, I'll fly away. Well, these won't fly. Verse 7, I'll do verse 7 first. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God, he shall be my son. But the fearful, and these are fearful times, aren't they? You will either be a victim of the times because you see things as they are and relate to things as they are, or you will believe what God said and trust him for deliverance from the natural. But he said, but the fearful and the whom? The unbelieving, that's again the word believe with an A in front of it. But the fearful and those who have refused to believe. Obstinate, stubborn, rejectors of the word, these shall not make it to heaven, along with all the other people he mentions there. This is what he said. 
Now, I want to refer you to Luke's gospel, chapter 12, and verse 42. Luke 12, verse 42. And the Lord said, Who is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give him their portion of meat in due season? Now, we're talking about the rewards of eternity here. Who will the Lord reward? Let's see. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. That is, taking care of things as God gave him to take care of things. But, in verse 45, Luke 12, But, and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming. Maybe somebody taught that. And begin to beat the men's servants. You have a right to do that after all. And the maid servant, well, she's asking for it. And to eat and to drink, well, I mean, after all, I mean, it's good, isn't it? I read in the paper the day where it's better for you. You got more uh, antioxidants in a good glass of wine than you do in a bad glass of Pepsi. And if you drink a little bit more, you know, you get merry heart, and merry heart do as good like a medicine. <laughs> I'm telling you the way a liberal mind thinks. Men servants and maid servants begins to eat and drink and to be drunken. Well, I couldn't help it. Verse 46, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him because he quit looking. And at a time when he is not aware because he's no longer aware and will cut him in sunder, that is not good, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers, the A-believers, the negative believers, the ones who prior to this were not believing what God was saying anyway. Rebellious, independent, self-serving, self-centered, unbelievers. Not willing to do it God's way, which is what all believers do, but unbelievers say, well, I'm not sure about that, so they won't do what God said. It's called unbelief. Now in verse 48, but he that knew not, now this is our second point now. We get in now to that Uncertain, uninformed unbeliever. Class two. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes, oh, he'll be beaten with few stripes. Even though he didn't know better, nobody taught him, he'll still be beaten. For whomsoever much is given unto him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, they shall ask the more. I suppose we've been given a lot here, wouldn't you say? Not as much as you might think, but we've been given quite a bit through the years. Now, the things that God has given us, the things that God has been saying to you in your lifetime as a Christian are the things he wants you to do. Now, blessed will you be when the Lord comes if he finds you doing those things. Now, a man who is a doer of the word and not a hearer only is a believer. That is one who takes God at his word and says, I will do it because God said it. My heart has embraced this. There's no other way to live. I must do it God's way. And they do it. They're scorned and rejected and looked down upon. They have moments in which they wonder if this is going to work. You know, why aren't more people doing this? They have a lot of questions. But they hang with it. Now, the unbeliever that I'm talking about now, the unbeliever who wants to believe. This is a person who really wants to believe. They feel bad about failures in their life. They grieve over the mistakes that they have made. You know, in the heat of the moment, the darkness of the hour, he went to the hospital, got an operation, had a baby or whatever you thought you weren't going to do and the way you, and you went ahead and did it or you couldn't get anything and you borrowed the money. You listened to somebody and said, you'll never have anything. You'll never have anything unless you borrow, which is a very natural minded man anyway, because that's the way you're trained in this world to think. The idea that you would go above the world and think like God gives you to think is just so foolish. I mean, who would do that? Well, some people do. And God, in his wonderful giving, gives things that these people who thought you were crazy for thinking like that, they wonder now how you got it. Well, somebody, and then they try to get online and find out how you got it. 
Maybe they can Google him into something. All I'm saying is that there are honest people who come to the Lord who really want to trust and do right, and they don't always do right, and when they fail, it bothers them. There are people in faith camps, new in the Lord. Maybe some have been in it for quite a while, been slacking off a bit. Trouble comes, they fail. And immediately here comes this guilt train and says, boy, you're over. It's done now. Let me reference you something here before we get back to that. Mark chapter 9, you, you know the verse in verse 24. The father had come to Jesus and said, if you can do anything, help my son. And Jesus said in verse 23 of Mark 9, he said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible. And you know what the father said? And straightway the father of the child cried out and said, with what? With tears. Why the tears? Because he was hurting. This man didn't have his arm phones. I don't know if I believe all that stuff or not. He wasn't like that. He was having trouble believing. But he said, Lord, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus could have said, like some of us, smart Alex would have said at one time, Unbelief doesn't need help. Unbelief well it by itself. It don't need any help. I don't need to aid unbelief. You know, help my unbelief. Would you assist my unbelief in doing what it's trying to do? No, I didn't what it means. He said, Lord, help my unbelief. Help me in the struggle that I'm going through to do this right. I don't want to mess up. I do want to trust you. I do want to cast all my care over the Lord. I do want to submit fully to the Lord. I do, I do, I do. I've never done it like that. It's not the way I've always seen things. It is hard for me to do that. I watched somebody I prayed for die. I saw somebody's marriage fail. I saw somebody lose their house. I saw this kid go back. I saw, I saw. And it's hard for me to just jump in and say, in spite of all of that, God will do it anyway. I know he can. I know he can. I'm not like Psalm 78 say, well, he can, but will he? I know he can. And I'm sure he wants to. I know he wants faith, and I believe, but whatever more he needs, I help me, Lord. With tears. I've stood with people. I've stood with people at hospitals, with tears in their eyes saying to me, I know we shouldn't have done this and this is not the right way to go, looking for something heartbroken. These people weren't making excuses. They weren't indifferent to what was going on. They weren't being skeptical. They were hurt. When God touches your heart about what he will do, and your heart says, especially initially new and in the beginning, you say, oh, yes, yes, I want to live that way. I want that kind of testimony. But when you're tested and you haven't grown enough yet, it's a struggle. A lot of people fall. A lot of people fail. Jesus didn't say it's okay to disbelieve. We would probably say that because in the tenderness of our hearts. We don't want to make people feel any worse than they already feel. I mean, if somebody's failed and, and they're sitting there crying and I know this is not what I'm supposed to do and I know you've taught. Wait a minute. It's not what I've taught. It's what you believe. And maybe you were hoping my faith would work for you. It's not the way it works. It's an individual relationship with God. You take him at his word. I'm trying to tell you how to do that, but you can't do it because I do it. Or your mother or your dad. you got to do it because it's in your heart to do it. Faith is a matter of the heart. It's not a mental thing. It's a heart thing. I can preach points one, two, three, four, and 5 in my head without it being in my heart. If it's not in my heart, it's not, it's, it's not how I live. You can live in secret fear all the time. And, you know, like Job said, the thing I feared has come upon me. That's another sermon too. But there's another place I want you to look. I want you to look in Mark chapter 16. After his resurrection, Jesus came to his disciples and he appeared to them in 16 and verse 14. And he appeared to his disciples. He appeared unto the 11 as they sat at meat. When he appeared to them, what did he do? 
he upbraided them for their unbelief. Unbelief is apistia. A with believe or believing on the end of it. He upbraided his disciples for their unbelief. He didn't condemn them. He upbraided them. His idea was not to discard them, but to fix them. Boy, how many times in the former years in my life has it not been like that? There was no your space or my tube. Is it my space where you tell all your secrets? But I know it's something like that. All of you that do it just don't want to be known. If we'd had my space back 30 years ago, the camp would have fallen apart quicker. Because people would have broadcast everybody's failure. I'm sure today there are people that have walked away from all this because they just didn't want to hear any more condemnation from the rest of us. When he appeared in the upper room, he comes back and he upbraided them. I don't think he ranted at them. I think he talked to them. Didn't he say to his disciples more than once, Oh, you have little faith? Four times. Oh, you have little faith. They woke him up in the storm as he's sleeping in the end of the boat. And he stilled the storm. He said, how is it you have no faith? Or more than once. He said, why couldn't we cast this demon out? He said, how long am I going to bear with you? How long will I bear with you? Bring him to me. Whoa. I mean, he was quite firm and, and stern, Jesus was, when it came to the matter of faith and his disciples. He told the Pharisees, he said, you won't come to me because you can't. You don't believe in me. You don't believe in my father. You don't believe in me because I came from my father. If you believe my father, you'd believe me. They were unwilling, totally rejecting an obstinate back-turning ears-plugging resistance of Jesus. He had nothing good to say to them. I wonder how much of the Christian world is like that today. I wonder. I hope none of it is, but I suspect a lot of it is. But he said here again in this verse, he upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not. There's another word for believe, epistule. And the A in front of that word means, again, Stubborn unbelief. Now we're talking about obstinate believers. Jesus used those same words talking about them. Here Jesus confronts us, his disciples, and he accuses us in Shelbyville in this year of the same sins that he accused them of. But as he did not disown them, he does not disown you either because he has a plan to fix you just as he had a plan to fix them. God didn't bring us this far to leave us alone and not identify our weaknesses, nor did he bring us this far to throw us away. The work that he has begun in us, he's going to finish, but you're going to realize in the operation of God and doing his work in you, you're going to realize where your weaknesses are and you're going to be required to deal with it. And if you're in unbelief because you're afraid it won't work, you're going to get dealt with because God doesn't want you to live like that because in a time of difficulty, you'll turn aside again. He wants you to know that he is faithful and that you can trust him. There's a lot of people hadn't been taught. There's a lot of Christians, good people, that have never been taught. They've never gone to the church that was interested in what they knew. They've never been in a religious system that concentrated on their need to know God. Most preachers have been trained, and the preachers train the congregation to tell stories and preach things and use the Bible, and the people have learned to listen. But as far as personal confrontation, personal guilt, dealing with my heart about my life, the way I live, a lot of people aren't taught that way. They don't know to use faith. I'm not going to ask you to go out and do this today, but if you did, you might be alarmed at how many People in really nice churches don't know a thing about what you're talking about when you talk about have faith in God. Having faith in God for most people is mental agreement. 
I mentally agree with the statements that I have heard from the Bible that God is and that he walked on the water and rolled stone back and so forth. That requires nothing in my life. That's nothing more than a mental exercise of agreeing with statements that somebody made. It doesn't change your life. It's just you're in agreement with it. That's all it is. But when the word becomes personal and God begins to speak to you, isn't there a verse in the Bible that says the word becomes like a two-edged sword? It's a two-edged sword that when it goes out, it goes in. And when it goes in, it begins to divide. It divides and separates you within yourself between what is spiritual and what is carnal. Now, if you see carnal things about your life, what are you supposed to do with it? Say, well, I couldn't help it. I'm a victim. (laughs) I'm a victim. My mother threw pablum in my face when I was a baby, and therefore I stuttered. No, it's all sin. There's no room for psychology in the Bible. It's all about sin. And we have to come as Christians to the place we realize that God puts us somewhere so he can teach us. So you can be marked with the word so that the word finds entrance into your heart and begins to deal with you, deal with your emotions, deal with your attitude, deal with your intellect, deal with your actions. There is nothing in your life that God leaves alone when it's not right. Or you can say, well, I don't like to go to that church because they preach too long and they talk too long. So you can find yourself a quiet haven of rest. Maybe they have a sleep room there. I'm being ugly. I admit that. You can find yourself a place where you can go, and for the rest of your life, you will never see a need to change anything about your life. Just get more involved and give a little more, but you don't have to change. And you're dead. You're dead because your life is marked with unbelief. All the things that God says, you deny You deny by the choices that you make. I will not, I do not, and I'm not going that way. I grew up like this. I know how it works. But God gives us a chance to be taught, to have understanding. Our eyes open so we can go, oh, I'm seeing it. And one day you even see yourself as a dog you were. You were a car chaser, a dog. And you think, oh, God, now you can deal with it because you see it. Turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Let's see if we can see a piece of this, a glimpse of it. Psalm 119 and verse 73. Psalm 119 and verse 73. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding for what purpose? Now, generally, somebody has to do that, teach you that. God put in the church apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers so that y'all can be perfected, and me, for the perfecting of the saints. Do saints need perfecting? He put us there for that. And he said he gives us the word, not only that we can be enlightened, but that we can deal with things ourselves. It's like God saying, either you deal with it or I will, which is what chastisement is. Identify this problem in your life. You, 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 and this, and this, and this, and this. Now, deal with it or I will. You deal with it, God says, or I will. Because I did not call you to be a stagnant, unimportant person in my plans. Yes, you are just a little screw in the big machine down here that holds one little piece together, but you are a part of the machine. The screw is important because if it comes out, the machine stops. So I am not going to leave you alone. You're not a little machine that I just from heaven come down and start, and then you just... You just become a little spiritual being. He doesn't do that. He takes us out of darkness. We were all unbelievers, weren't we? In Ephesians 2 or Isaiah 53, we're all an unclean thing. 
We were children of disobedience. And little by little in every way, little by little in every day, Jesus is changing me. He really is. You don't know that song, so I won't sing no more of it. <laughs> but God puts you somewhere, not all at once, but he puts you somewhere, and little by little, he starts breaking down the old. He starts breaking down the flesh, exposing the carnality and lovingly giving you the spiritual. Here, put this in place of it. And the old things must pass away so that these new things can bring you into favor with God and add more grace to grace that's already been given. And you find yourself pleasing God because you're no longer walking in unbelief, but you're walking in faith and there's no other way to please God. Looking also in this same Psalm, verse 125. Deal with thy servant according to thy mercy and teach me thy statutes. That's what we're doing this morning. Teaching. Teach me thy ways, O Lord. That's why. So that I can walk in thy truth. This has to happen. It must happen. Verse 144. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. The right ways, the rightness of thy word is forever. Give me understanding and what? Give me understanding and I shall live. Give me understanding and I shall live. Honest doubters are those who are not sure, they're uncertain. They don't want to disbelieve. They don't want to fail. They're not informed. They're uninformed. So God puts them somewhere you can teach them. Used to hear people at evangelical meetings say, go to the church of your choice. That's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. But they can't tell you where to go to church either because it wouldn't be a crusade then. He said, teach me thy statutes. Teach me thy ways. I want to learn and understand your ways, Lord. The desire of a zealous heart, the desire of a yearning heart, the desire of a Christian's heart is teach me thy way. Lord, I come to the assembly this morning. I'm not independent. I do have a need. I'm not near as smart, sharp, cool as I thought I was. I'm not near as in control as I think I'd like to be. I've messed up so much of my life with my choices. Lord, teach me your way so I can walk in your truth. I know you can fix it there. I know that nothing is too hard for you. And you begin to live like that. Some do. No more excuses. I rebuke victims. Now, people have been victims in life about crimes and stuff. I'm, I'm victim mentality. I rebuke it. God brought discarded, downcast people to him to make something wonderful out of them. But you've got to know what you believe. You see, faith, to counter unbelief, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. But it has to be a clear word. It has to be a clear word. It has to be just like the sound of a trumpet with no other additions. It's got to be one sound. You cannot hear yourself, well, that's good. Praise God for his word. By stripes I am healed. But no, no. Now, you got two trumpets now. You're taking the natural, which God says, by stripes I am healed, which is supernatural. And you're beginning to offset it with how you feel, which is natural. And the way you feel is the way you function in this world. It's not a spiritual man yet. You're still a natural man. And it's hard for you to just deny your body and trust the Lord. Some people do, but not many. But the more we get taught that if you keep coming and keep listening and you bring your heart and say, Lord, unzip it and fill it. Here's my trash can, my 50-gallon drum, Lord. Or here's my cute little expensive thimble, Lord. You get what you want or you'll get what you put into it. You can go through life grieving about how weak you are and how many mistakes you made. Oh, I know I can't. You keep saying it. 
Oh, I can't, I don't know about that. I mean, just keep talking like that because all it's doing is feeding that unbelieving spirit. It's all you're doing. No wonder the psalmist said, put a watch before my mouth and guard the door of my lips lest I sin against thee. There comes a time we have to do that and we should be doing it all the time. But faith needs a clear word. I'll never be an honest believer until I got a clear word from God. I want a distinct sound. I want to know if healing is real and divine, then tell me what divine healing is and don't encourage me anymore the other way. I want to know what God says. If by his stripes I was healed, keep saying that. I want the fullness of that. I want to walk in health. I don't want to have to worry about your well-being. Well, what are you going to do when you get older? If God can take a young man and take care of a young man, can he not take care of an old man? I think he can. And yet, how many times a week do you get something in the paper about at your age? I shred, if I got a shredder at home, I usually just tear them up and throw them in the trash. But I shred all that stuff. Most of the time, I don't even look at it, just shred it. I've been getting insurance, health insurance, retirement stuff, uh, hospitalization. Plan. I've been getting that for 20 years. I guess they think when you're 50, you're about to die. I do it as a rebuttal. Now, God said, and you said, I deny you, I rebuke you, I shred you and eliminate you. Now, nobody can read you. You're just little pieces. My God. My God shall. It's taken quite a few years. But I didn't wander in out of a church when I had occasion to go and got this way. You keep with it. You stay with it. You want it. You got a desire. Whether it's that or money or family or anything, there's a solution here in this book. And God will give it to you. Teach me the truth. Don't back off because of my flesh. Don't back away from it. Just tell me the truth. I want to know what you have said. I want to know clearly what you're talking about, Lord. I want that verse in 2 Timothy 3. I think there's a verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I think it's verse 4, where Paul said, you continue in the things that you have learned you got to learn. Continue in the things that you have learned and become assured of. Now, the word assured is our word believe or faith without that A. It's just one who counts on, trusts in, depends on God. That verse really merits one more statement. Continue in the things you have learned. I hope you're learning something. If you only get inspired here, I hope you go home and learn something. Because your teacher is the Holy Ghost. Not Brother Tom. Our teacher is a spirit. I'm not your conscience. You don't have to believe it because I said it. But you're going to have to believe what God says. And if you're willing, God will speak to you wherever you are. He will show you, deal with you. He will touch your heart. He will make you aware of personal things in your life. You can argue with God if you want to, but your conscience says God is right. Brother Hamilton, he might have said something that got you thinking like that, but it's God who does the stirring. And what he does is to bring to light things in your life that he wants you to believe. And once you learn that, the Bible said you continue the things you've learned and become assured of because I don't think you're faithful to anything you're not sure of. I don't think you're ever trusting in something you're not certain about. And certain comes with learning. Continue those things you have learned and become convinced of, assured of, certain about. You've got to keep doing that. This is how we combat all the dreaded judgment of unbelief. See, we're talking about stripping away from the unbeliever his unbelieving life. The only acceptable life to God is a faith life, not a well-intentioned life, well, you meant well, or, you know, well, my heart's right. No, it's a faith life. Without 
faith, it is impossible to please God. Isn't that right? Well, it's not right because you said it's right. It's right because the Bible says it. So God and all that's going on here helped me do that. Now, back to these unbelievers. The ones that you really want to help and draw nigh to, the ones you feel sorry for, the ones that try so hard that they, now they're back on a pill or a drug or something, and right now they can't get away from that. So you want to teach them. You want to encourage them. I don't say, I'm so glad you're taking that drug. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, I'm glad you're alive. I'm glad you're still here. I'm glad we're still talking. And I hope we can get this word in you to where it replaces your need for anything else. Anything else. So that when you get stuff in the mail about an alternative to God, you can shred it. You can make little pieces out of it. And then when you gather all them little pieces up, it's a good way to start a fire in your stove. Let me close by saying this. Our approach as believers to the honest doubters is not condemnation, but like a verse that says in Jude, and on some have compassion making a difference. I think we should have compassion on those that are doubting. Some translation says, and have compassion on those who are doubting. Now, I've looked at different versions of that. Most of them say have compassion making a difference, but some say on those who doubt. Listen to this translation. The Montgomery translation says, pity some who are wavering and save by dragging them out of the fire. I guess you have to really care about a person to do that, wouldn't you? A person that's chained themselves to a burning house. I'm not leaving this thing. You say, yes, you are. You go in there and unchain them and drag them out because you want them to be saved. Another translation says, and on some have mercy who are in doubt. Y'all remember David and Bathsheba? Did they deserve to die? They did, by law, by the legal statements in the law, period, they deserve to die. Nathan said to David, thou art the man. David wrote Psalm 51 about that situation. God had mercy on David. David was a doomed man because of adultery. Bathsheba's going to go with him. And yet, God had mercy, didn't he? Look at us. Look at us. Look at us. <laughs> oh, David wasn't the only one, Lord. Look at us. God's had mercy on a whole gang of us. But he did it for a reason. He said, I'm not done with you. You've all messed up. But I'm going to change you. He's changing me. My blessed Savior, I'm not the same person that I used to be. Sometimes it's slow going, but there's a knowing that one day perfect I shall be. What a good song. You see, God's brought us here through these years, many meetings, many gatherings. He's brought us here apparently for one or two reasons. Among them is to teach us his way to open our eyes to see. He doesn't care where you came from, what color you are, how tall you are, how short you are, how pretty you are, how ugly I am. He doesn't care. He brought you here because you were his choice. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He said, take my yoke. Be in fellowship with me. We're in the same yoke together. Take my yoke upon you and what? Learn of me. Well, what if I fail? Don't fail. But if you do, there's a whole bunch of people here who know how close to failure they have been, and they'll be there. We want everybody to quit failing. We want everybody to quit messing up. We want everybody to be able to do good. We want to have this testimony at the end is greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm a believer and not a doubter. The word of God is faithful and true. There's no power that can shake me. Oh, how's that song go? I was quoting another song. 
There's no trouble that can break me. There's no power that can shake me or something. I'm a believer, not a doubter, and by faith I'll make it through. A good song. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, deliver us from doubt, even honest doubt. Deliver us from weakness and failure, faltering, halting, especially unbelief. Lord, we've been so embedded in this world and the systems of this world. We're realizing the closer we get to the end of how much of a grip this world really has on us and that the war within is a war for our hearts. I stand before your people, Lord. These are your sheep. They're not mine. They're yours. People whose lives you've touched. or They were born into families with touched lives. They've had many occasions to hear the word, to hear the truth, to make decisions. Some have not always made the right ones, but I pray that you will help us make the right ones to undo the wrong and come back to the right, that righteousness prevails. I ask you to minister to us spiritually deep. We're deep calls to deep, Lord. Take us as deep as we can go to live a life that pleases you, I ask in Jesus' name, amen.